And all right, well, we're there in Second uh, Corinthians chapter number 7, and I'd like you to look down at verse number 8, Second Corinthians chapter number 7, <clears throat> and verse number 8. The Bible says, for though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent. I want you to notice that word repent there. Uh, today we're going to be learning, we've, we've been going through a series on Sunday mornings called Accelerate Your Growth. We've been talking about different ways to be able to help you grow spiritually and to help you mature as a Christian. And today I want to talk about the need for repentance in the Christian life. The need for repentance in the Christian life. And I want to start off by just kind of giving you a definition for this word repent. If you look at verse 8 again, he says, For though I made you sorry with a letter. Now, Paul is referring to the fact, he's talking about the book of 1 Corinthians. He's talking about the fact that he wrote a letter that he sent them. And the things he said in that letter to them were negative things. He was correcting them. And he says, I made you sorry with a letter. He says, I do not repent. Now, what he's saying, he's saying, he's saying, even though I, I kind of hurt you with what I said, he said, I don't repent. And what the word repent means, it means a change of mind. And he says, I don't change, uh, change my mind as to what I said. He said, I do not repent. He said, though I did repent. He said, you know, when I wrote the letter and put the stamp on it and sent it in the mail, immediately I thought, you know, oh man, should I have said that, you know? And, and the only way for you to really understand this is if one day if the Lord, uh, not you ladies, but you men, if one day the Lord ever allows you to, uh, to fill the position of a pastor, you will find that there are many times that as a pastor, we have to bring a message that people don't like. And sometimes it's a needed message and we may make them sorrowful, but I will tell you there are many Sunday nights after church and you can ask my wife or Wednesday nights after church that I'm kind of beating myself up saying, man, you know, should I have said that? I feel bad that I, that I hurt the people. And that's what Paul is saying. And realizing that it's needed. Realizing that you need the truth. Realizing that the message sometimes needs to be preached, whether it's accepted properly or not. He says, I do not repent. He says, though I did repent. He says, for, the word for means because. Notice what he says. For I perceive that the same epistle had made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. He says, now that the sermon's been preached, the letter's been read, and I see, and he says, it made you sorry, but you sorrowed towards repentance. He said, there was a change of mind in you. There was a change in what you believed, and, 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 and here specifically, what they were doing. He said, I sorrowed to repentance, for ye were made sorry after a godly manner that ye might receive damage by us and nothing. And here's what I want you to understand. In the Christian life, there is a need for repentance. There is a need for us to be working on ourselves and repent repenting and changing in our lives. But I want you to understand the word repentance has to do with a state of mind. It has to do with a turning in your mind or a changing of your mind. Keep your place there in 2 Corinthians 7. That's our text for this morning. But go with me to the book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter number 8. And look at verse number 47. Now, just to help you out, in the Old Testament, you've got clustered together these books. 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles. All the 1-2 books are clustered together. Go to 1 Kings chapter number 8. And when you get to 1 Kings, do me a favor, put a ribbon or a bookmark or uh, something, your bulletin there in 1 Kings, because we're going to leave it, and we're going to come back in that area of Scripture, 1 Kings chapter number 8, and look at verse number 47. I just want you to notice the words used here to describe this word repent. 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 47. 1 Kings eight forty-seven says this, yet if they shall, I want you to notice this word, bethink. You see the word bethink there? Now, the word think has to do with your thoughts. He said, Yet if they shall bethink themselves in the land where they were carried captives and repent. I want you to notice how God is defining for us what it means to repent. He said, You were thinking a certain way. He said, You did believe certain things. He said, your knowledge led you a certain way, but then circumstances changed. In this, in this idea, God brought his judgment. God brought a, a, a judgment upon you. And he said, if you take the time to bethink the way you've been going, 
and then you repent and make supplication unto thee and the land of them that carry them captive, saying, we have sinned and have done perversely and we have committed wickedness. And here's what I want you to understand. Oftentimes, the word repentance has to do with thinking, with knowledge. It is a turning of your mind or a change of mind. But oftentimes, when it comes to the Christian life, it's talking about changing your mind and changing directions. There is an idea in Scripture of repenting from sin. Now, I want to make something very clear. When it comes to salvation, you no one has to do anything or stop doing anything in order to be saved. Salvation is by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we talk about repentance in salvation, we're not talking... Today, you've got many false preachers that will say, if you want to be saved, you have to repent of your sins. You have to turn from your sins. That is not found in Scripture. The Bible does not teach that at all. In fact, the Bible says this. Jesus said this, For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye believed him not. He said, he said to the Pharisees, Ye believed him not. He said, The publicans and the harlots believed him, and ye, when ye had seen, seen it, repented not afterward that ye might believe. Here's what Jesus was telling. He said, you, you, should, you weren't believing. He said, you should have repented, which would have cost you to believe. In, uh, in, in, in Mark 1.15, you have to turn there. But in Mark 1.15, the Bible, Jesus said this. The Bible says this, and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. The Bible says, uh, Paul said about John in, in Acts 19.4, and you have to turn there, but the Bible says this, Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him, which should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. So when he was preaching repentance, he was saying, you've got to turn from your unbelief. You were believing in something else. And listen, you may be here this morning, and you believe that salvation was by living a good life. You believe that salvation was because you went to a certain church, or you kept certain uh, principles, in your life and listen to me that will send you to hell this morning the only way that you can be saved is if you repent and say I was trusting in myself I'm now only trusting in Christ maybe you're an atheist here and you say well I don't even believe in God well of course you've got to turn from that unbelief unto believe in Christ when it, and I don't want to preach on this I actually preached this recently on this but I just want to be real clear when we're talking about repentance for salvation we are not talking about turning from your sins in order to be saved we are talking about turning from unbelief or false belief to believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible teaches. But once you're saved, once you've already believed, the Bible does teach that there is a repentance work in your life. See, I think the problem we have is we get so caught up on salvation is believe, 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 and we get so anti the word repent. Hey, listen to me. As a Christian, you need to live a life of repentance. You need to live a life where you're getting sin out of your life, where you are changing your mind about certain things and saying, I used to think this way. I used to do these things. I used to hang out with this crowd. But now I'm going to repent. And that's what Paul is talking about in this letter. Now keep your place there in 1 Kings. We're going to come back to that part of the, of the Bible. But go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And I want you to understand that Paul is talking to believers. And let me just clear something up real quick. Because in verse 10 he says this, for godly sorrow worketh, notice, repentance to salvation. Now, people will often take this passage out of context and say, see, you got to repent in order to be saved. Keep in mind that he's talking to people that are already saved. He's talking to the church at Corinth. This is a letter that's meant to be read to the entire congregation. It'd be like if I stood up today and said, we got a letter from the Apostle Paul, and I opened it up, and I started reading it. He's addressing a church of people that are already saved. In the Bible, the word salvation is not always just referring to spiritual salvation. And you know, there's multiple examples of that. One example of that is, of course, in Matthew 24, where Jesus said, but he that shall endure unto the end shall be saved. Many people want to take that verse and say, see, you got to endure to the end in order to be saved. The context of that is about the time of the tribulation period. It's about, you know, making it through the tribulation, making it through the wrath of the Antichrist, making it through the persecution. If you can endure to the end, you'll be saved. So you need to understand, not every time the word salvation is used in Scripture is it talking about heaven and hell. And here he says, hey, the sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. It's not referring about being saved. These people are already saved. These people are already believers. So well, what is he uh, saying to them? What is he trying to Teach them. And I want to get into that this morning. Go back to 2 Corinthians 7. Look at verse 1. Let's start from the beginning. 
this is a spiritual leader. This is Paul the Apostle writing people who he loves and who he got saved and who are following. He established the church in Corinth. Why don't you notice what he says? 2 Corinthians 7 1 says, His having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Notice verse 2. Notice what he says. He says, Receive us. We have wronged no man. We have corrupted no man. We have defrauded no man. Now notice what he says in verse 3. He says, I speak not this to condemn you. He said, I, don't, I'm not, I didn't write you the letter. He said, I didn't preach the sermon to condemn you. People often think when you preach hard against sin, oh, that preacher is just trying to, to condemn us. Notice what he said, I speak not this to condemn you, for I have said before that ye, notice what he says, that ye are in our hearts to die and live with you. Notice verse 4, he says, Great is my boldness of speech toward you. And here's what I want you to understand, especially you guys. We've got several guys in our church that desire to be a pastor one day. Let me explain something to you about going into ministry and being a pastor. Don't go into ministry unless you are willing to live with a burdened heart. Because spiritual leaders, and here Paul is saying, he's saying, I was burdened for you. He said, I didn't say those things to hurt you. I didn't teach you those things to condemn you. He said, great was my boldness of speech towards you. He says, because you were in my heart. He said, I was burdened for you. And when you lead people, and it's your job to help them grow spiritually, let me tell you something, you will oftentimes find yourself burdened with people. And, and, and I won't go into details. And You know, you can ask my wife. I don't think she'll give you any details. But there are many nights... That we are up late talking and thinking and praying about certain... I mean, there's people in our church right now. I go to bed thinking about them. I wake up thinking about them. All day long I'm thinking about them. I'm thinking, man, I'm burdened for so-and-so. I see a distance. I see a detachment. I see a demeanor change. And, and, you know, and here's the thing. As soon as you get one person going right, then there's somebody else who's going wrong. Then you focus on that individual. And you love on that person. And you try to help that person. And as soon as you get that one going right, you've got somebody else. And it's just part of being a pastor. It's just, and and you, you, may, you may experience it as a parent with your children. You may experience it as a, as a spouse with your spouse. But here Paul is explaining, and listen to me, there's something about being a spiritual leader or a leader of anyone that if you're not burdened for them, you're not leading them. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 15. You're there in 1 Kings. If you go backwards, you're going to go past 2nd and 1 Samuel. And I want you to keep your place in 1 Samuel. That's what we're going to We're going to be back and forth between 2 Corinthians and 1 Samuel 15. And in 1 Samuel 15, I want you to notice another spiritual leader who was burdened for someone that he was to minister to. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, you're there in 1 Kings, you're going to go backwards, past 2 Samuel into 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel 15 and verse number 10, notice what the Bible says, 1 Samuel 15 and verse 10, the Bible says this, Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, remember Samuel the great prophet? Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, now notice what God said to Samuel, verse 11, It repenteth me. What's God saying? And by the way, this is God repenting. Some people teach, every time you see the word repent in the Bible, there's always someone repenting from sin. Are you telling me that God repented from sin? Because God doesn't sin. The word repent means to change your mind. And look, I, there's nothing wrong with saying there's an association there of regret. I mean, I think God is saying, it repenteth me. He said, I, I'm regretting, I'm changing my mind. He says, notice what he says, it repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king. He said, I, I, I set up Saul. He said, I put Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me and have not performed my commandments. And notice the response from the spiritual leader, Samuel. And it grieved Samuel. And he cried unto the Lord all night. I just want you to know as a spiritual leader, as, as, as a pastor, you should have someone in your life. Listen to me very carefully. You should have someone in your life who is interested in your spiritual well-being. That when they see you going astray, it hurts them. It burdens them. Samuel was grieved and he cried unto the Lord 
all night long. And I want you to keep your place there in 1 Samuel because we're going to be talking about repentance and the need for repentance in the Christian life. And I want to use two examples of two different men who repented in very different ways. One is Saul and one is David. So I want you to keep your place there in 1 Samuel. We're going to be coming back to 1 Samuel. But go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and let's look at this idea of repentance in the Christian life. And if you don't mind writing in your Bible, if you don't mind taking notes in your Bible, I'd like, I'd encourage you to write down a few a couple of just a couple of words to help you remember these things. Second Corinthians chapter seven and verse eight. I want you to notice what the Bible says. It says this: For though I made you sorry, he's, that word sorry there means sorrowful or grieved. With a letter, what letter is he talking about? He's talking about the letter of First Corinthians. He's talking about the Word of God. He says, "I do not repent, though I did repent, for I perceive that the same notice that the same epistle talking about the Word of God hath made you sorry." Though it were, but for a season. I'd like you to write there, next to Second uh, uh, Corinthians 7 and verse 8, just in the margin of the Bible, I want you to write these, these two words. The rebuke. The rebuke. There is a rebuke that came from Paul to the church at Corinth. He said, I made you sorry with a letter. He said, I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry. And listen to me. In your life, God will use the word of God to confront you. God will use the word of God to confront you. The Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. God will use the word of God in your life. But see, the problem with the word of God is that sometimes we don't read the word of God. Sometimes we don't know the word of God. We talked about that on Wednesday night. There are sins of ignorance that we just don't understand. Sometimes we read the word of God, but we only read the parts that we want to. And we know, stay away from that chapter. I don't want to read about that because I know that's going to get on me. Or sometimes we just don't understand the word of God. So I want you to understand, not only does God use the word of God to rebuke you, but God also uses spiritual leadership to rebuke and confront you. Look at verse 8. For though, notice, for though I, it's Paul, the preacher, for though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent. For I perceive that the same business I've made you sorry for, it was but for a season. Listen to me. A pastor's only worth his salt if he corrects you. A pastor's only worth listening to if he rebukes you. If you're going to go to some positive-only, Joel Osteen type of church where all you get is affirmation, all you're told is, you're doing great, you're doing fine. I know you're a drunkard. I know you're a drug addict. I know you're an adulterer. I know you're a fornicator. I know your life is messed up. Your marriage is messed up. Your children are messed up. But hey, you're doing fine. Just keep putting money in the offering plate and we'll be good to go. Hey, if that's the type of church you go to, what's the point of going there? If all they're going to tell you is you're doing fine, hey, God's word is there to reprove, to reprove, to correct, to instruct, to help you become a better version of you. Because listen to me, we are better with Christ. We do better when we follow the word of God. But we need someone in our lives to rebuke us. Every once in a while, you just need a spiritual leader to say, hey, what you're doing is wrong. What you're doing is not what the Bible says. Notice the example of Saul. You're there in 1 Samuel. Go to 1 Samuel 15. God uses spiritual leadership to confront you. God uses the word of God to confront you. By the way, spiritual leadership, I don't use the word of God to confront you. I don't ever get up here and say, well, I just think you guys need to. No, no, no. We're going to look at the Bible. Here's what the Bible says. And then we're going to apply it to your life. 1 Samuel 15. Look at verse 12. 1 Samuel 15. I want you to notice the spiritual leader, Samuel. Notice how he confronts Saul. 1 Samuel 15 and verse 12. Notice how he rebukes Saul. 1 Samuel 15 and verse 12. And when Samuel rose early to meet Saul. And by the way, I realize that this is not the type of sermon that you want to preach when you're about getting ready to take a special offering. But that ought to show you that we're not interested in your money. We, you said, why are you taking, we talked about it last week. If you're willing and a cheerful giver, you'll be willing and cheerful after you hear the word of God being preached either way. 1 Samuel 15 and verse 12, And when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set him up a place and has gone about and passed on and gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul. We, we just read those words, but I, I've, I've lived those words. Where you call, and you know you've got to confront someone about sin in their life. You want to do it tactfully, and you want to do it gracefully, and you want to do it lovingly. But that, that, 
that, that you hear that phone ringing and it, 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 it seems like an eternity. You're driving to that meeting. And you're praying, Lord, help these individuals to take the words that I'm about to say, to take them properly and take them in, your spirit, in, in the right spirit. And here, I can only imagine Samuel on his way to Saul, just grieved in his heart. We just read, he spent all the night before grieving and crying unto the Lord. And now he's getting ready to come and do what a spiritual leader does. Verse 13, and Samuel came to Saul. And Saul said unto him, blessed be the Lord, but blessed be thou of the Lord. Now notice what Samuel says. I'm sorry, Saul. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. You know, backsliding people always think they're right with God. Now, God just told us, God just told us, I regret, I repent putting Saul in the kingdom because he's not doing what I told him to do. Samuel shows up. Saul says, Blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandments of the Lord. Verse 14. And Samuel said, Samuel, Samuel's thinking, he said, Oh, really? And Samuel said, Oh, okay, well, well, what meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Now, please understand, God had commanded Saul to go fight. This is a historical story, to go fight the children of the Amalekites. And the instructions were to utterly destroy. He said, take, take everything. He said, every animal, don't bring anything back. All of it has to be destroyed. Saul says, I performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel says, well, if you perform the, camp, the, the commandment of the Lord, then why do I hear the bleeding of sheep and the lowing of oxen? Verse 15. And Saul said, now you get a hint to the, to the spirit of Saul. Notice what he says. They. See that word they? Not, not me. They have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord I like this, thy God. Samuel, it's for your God. We spared the best, they, they spared the best of the flock for your God. And notice what he says, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. And listen to me, partial obedience is no obedience at all. You either obey, look, he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. You can't say, well, we did half of what you said. No, no, no. God wants full obedience. Notice verse 16. Then Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. And he said unto him, Say, oh. And Samuel said, Some of you need to get a hold of this. Some of you ought to, ought to underline this in your Bible. Notice what Samuel says to Saul. When thou was little in thine own sight, you know what our problem is? We're too big for our own bridges. We think too highly of ourselves. He says, when thou was little in thine own sight, was thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil and didst evil in the sight of the Lord? I want you to say, you know why we, why we know Samuel was a great, spiritual leader, a great man of God. Here's why it was. Not because he preached great sermons. Not because he was a great organizer. It was because of this. When he needed to confront someone with a broken heart, he rebuked Saul. And you know what? Saul was a blessed man to have someone like Samuel in his life. Our other example is David. You're there in 1 Samuel 15. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 12. Let's fast forward several years into the life of David, the next king of the nation of Israel. And of course, David also ministered during the ministry of, uh, lived during the ministry of Samuel. But David also had another man of God. Remember David? We're going we're gonna to jump into this story and I don't have time to give you all the context, but basically you need to understand in 2 Samuel chapter 12, as we begin in verse 1, David has committed adultery and has killed the husband of the woman whom he committed adultery with in order to cover up the fact that she was now with child because of their adultery. David is in a very grievous sin in his life. And in 2 Samuel verse 12 and verse 1, the story says this, And the Lord sent Nathan, that's the prophet, unto David. I can imagine Nathan with a heavy heart going towards David, knowing the sin that David is in. And he came to him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. And Nathan, being a very wise man, decides, I'm not just going to go in there and confront 
David. He said, I am going to confront David, but I'm going to start by just telling David a story and helping him understand what God sees. Because listen, when you see how God sees, you will do as God says. Look at verse 2. He says, the rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had brought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drink of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock. Are you, are you getting the story? Rich man has many flocks. There's a poor man that has one, one lamb, and he loves this lamb, and he nourishes this lamb. And there came a traveler, verse 4, unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was coming to him, but, he t- but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. He said this guy had all sorts of lambs, all sorts of options, but he chose to take the one lamb that the poor man had. Now notice the response of David, verse 5. And David's anger was kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, and the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. Now listen, the reason that Nathan told the story is because David at this time is living in a polygamy. He's living a life of polygamy. He has met multiple wives. But he chose on that night, When he had all these options of women that he'd married, he chose on that night to go and commit adultery with another man's wife. And Nathan tells him this story, and David gets so upset, he said, I can't believe that someone with all those options and all those flocks would take the one lamb that belonged to someone else. And notice what a spiritual leader does in verse 7. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed the king over Israel and delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And he goes on to tell him his judgment. But I want you to understand that in the Christian life, in the Christian life, we often will need someone to put their finger in our face and with love and compassion and with a broken spirit and a broken heart, said, you're not doing right, David. You're not following the commandments of God, Saul. And please understand this. Keep your place there in 2 Samuel. We're going to come back to it. Go, go, go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Please understand this. When someone confronts you with your sin, they do it because they love you. Do you understand that? It's much easier to just let you continue in your sin. It's much easier to just allow you to continue in the path that you're going. People will often get mad. Please, please understand this. When someone comes to you, when a, na- when a friend comes to you, or a spouse comes to you, or a child, uh, one of your children comes to you and says, Mom, I, I think you have a drinking problem. Please, please understand this. Please understand this. They didn't just wake up that morning and say, I'm going to tell Mom that she's an alcoholic. They've been wrestling with that for a while. They've been burdened with that for a while. They're telling you that because they love you. When, when a parent comes to you, when a spouse comes to you, when a pastor comes to you and say, there's sin in your life. There's something wrong. Thou art the man. Please understand, they're not doing that because they've got nothing else to do. It's not fun to do that. But in your life, you need to have someone that can rebuke you when you are wrong. And when that happens, please understand, they do it because they love you. 2 Corinthians 7, 12, look at what the Bible says. 2 Corinthians 7, 12. Notice what Paul said. He said, Wherefore, though I wrote unto you, I did not for his cause that had done the wrong, nor for his cause that suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear unto you. He said, You know why I wrote you that letter and I told you you're wrong, you're doing wrong, you need to get right? You know why I did that? He said, Because I care about you, that's why. Because I love you, that's why. You don't have to turn there, but Proverbs says this, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Here's a question I have for you. And I don't want you to answer it out loud, but I do want you to answer it right now in your mind. Is there anyone in this world, is there anyone in this world that can walk up to you and rebuke you and you take it properly? And, 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 and you say, well, yeah, of course there is. Okay, then here's what I want you to do. In your mind right now, who is it? Give me the name. I'm not, I'm not saying out loud, just in your mind. Who is it? Because we, we say, oh, yeah, well, of course, I'm humble. If there's something wrong, I'll take it. If there's something wrong, I'll accept it. 
But here's the thing. We say that, and then when it happens, we get all upset. And then when it happens, we get all angry. And then when it happens, we get all bowed up. You don't talk to me like that. Okay, so who can talk to you like that? Is there anyone in this world, anyone, I'm not saying your pastor, I'm not saying your, 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 your spouse, your parents, I mean, if it's, if it's, if you're a wife, it ought to be your husband, if you're a child, it ought to be your parents, if you're a church member, it ought to be your pastor, but, you know, whatever, I'm not saying who it ought to be, I'm just saying, is there anyone in this world that if they called and said, I'd like to meet with you, let me tell you a story, David, you're, you're the man, David, you're committing adultery, you're lying. Is there anyone that you would take that from? Well, yeah, of course it is. Okay, who is it? Because let me explain to you something about submission. I, I don't think we understand submission in our, in our culture today. Let me help you out, wives. Let me help you out, employees. Let me help you out, church members. It's only submission when you don't like it. Why, do, you, you know, we preach, the Bible teaches that wives ought to submit to their husbands. That's what the Bible says. People don't like that today. I don't really care what people like. I'm going to preach the word of God. Our world is crazy. Our world is insane. We need to turn this world upside down. People accuse us, oh, you're brainwashing people. They need their brains washed with the washing of regeneration with the word of God. They need their minds transformed. They need to be fixed. What they were doing wasn't working. What they were doing ruined their lives. What they were doing ruined their marriage. What they were doing ruined their children. They need someone to say, hey, wake up. Think differently. Do something different. Try something else. But here's a question I have for you. Is there anyone in this world that can, can rebuke you? And you accept it? Here's what wives think. I'm submissive to my husband. As long as he's doing what I want him to do. It's only submission if your husband's trying to get you to do something you don't want to do. If you disagree, it's only submission if you disagree and you decide to go along with it. I'm submissive as long as he's doing exactly what I want. Okay, well, when he's not doing what you want, well, I get upset and I get blown up and I don't, then you're not submissive. You understand what I'm saying? At work, it's only submission if the boss says do something you don't agree with, but you do it happily anyway. Look, it's only submission as a church member. You're only submitting to your pastor when your pastor tells you to do something you don't agree with or you don't want to do, and you say, you know what, pastor? I'm going to do it anyway. But if you're fighting and arguing the entire way, you're not submissive. You say, well, I'm submissive as long as my leader's still doing exactly what I want. Well, then you're rebellious. That's what you are. Amen. You're proud and arrogant. That's what you are. Amen. Is there anybody in this world? I'm just saying, is there anybody in this world that can confront you in your face? And I'm not saying be rude to you. I'm not saying be mean to you. But can just walk up to you, look you in the eye and say, listen, brother so-and-so. Listen, sister so-and-so. I love you. My heart is grieved for you. I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to make you sorry. But thou art the man. You're in sin. You're going to ruin your marriage. You're going to ruin your relationship with your children. You're going to ruin your life. You're going to regret what you're doing. See, as a pastor, here's what I've learned in the last six, almost seven years of pastoring. When I have to make that phone call, when I have to set up that meeting, here's what I've learned. Is that in my mind, I have to be ready to lose that person. Because here's what I know. Most people can't be rebuked. And no matter how lovingly you do it, no matter how prayerfully you do it, no matter how many weeks you take to pray and think, when you make that phone call, I have to decide. The, the vast majority of people, once I tell that person, you're wrong, you're doing wrong, you're sinning, you're lying, you need to get right with God, no matter how kindly I do it, no matter how graciously I do it, it's probably the last time I'm ever going to see that person. Because in our American culture, we can't take rebuke. <coughs> No matter how kind somebody does it, how lovingly they do it, how good their intentions are. So here's the question I have for you. Here's the question I have for you. Is there anyone in this world that can rebuke you? That can correct you? Say, of course, sir. Okay, what's the name? Well, it's, it's, it's my husband. Okay, when was the last time your husband asked you to do something you didn't agree with and you just submitted anyway, happily? Not, well, I'm going to do it, but I'm going to mad. And then when it doesn't turn out right, you idiot! When's the last time that you had a leader say, I want to do this, and you think, well, that's not the right thing, but you know what? You're my leader. You know what, boss? You're the boss. Yes, sir. You know what? You know, parents, you know, you know kids, you know what you need to learn to say to mom? Yes, ma'am. You know what you need to learn to say to dad? Yes, sir. 
Well, I don't think that. No, no, no. That's mom. That, well, they're wrong. It doesn't matter if they're wrong. That's your spiritual leader. That's your leader. Well, I just don't think. No, no, no. Look, if, they, if they're the leader, then submission only works when you disagree and you go along anyway. Otherwise, just don't, just don't lie to yourself. Just realize, I am not a submissive wife. I'm not a submissive employee. I'm not a submissive church member. I'm not a submissive person. I'm not someone that can be rebuked. See, the first step is rebuke. But the second step, the second step, go back to 2 Corinthians 7, look at verse 9. In verse 8, we wrote down the word rebuke. Next to verse 9, I want you to write this word, these two words. The response. We saw the rebuke, but I want you to notice the response. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 9. Now I rejoice. Not that you were made sorry. Not that you were made sorrowful. Not that you were grieved. But that you sorrowed. You, notice this word, too. You ought to circle that word, too, in your Bible. Sorrow only is profitable when it causes you to do something. That you sorrow to repentance. For you were, notice these words, for you were made sorry after a godly manner. That you might receive damages by us in nothing. Notice verse 10. For godly sorrow worketh repentance. So in the Bible, there's an idea of godly sorrow. And it worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of. Again, not talking about spiritual salvation, talking about saving your marriage, talking about saving your relationship, talking about saving your, 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 your life on this earth. He says, for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but, but the sorrow of the world. So there's two types of sorrow. There's godly sorrow and there's worldly sorrow. Godly sorrow worketh to repentance. The sorrow of the world worketh death. So let's talk about that. Worldly sorrow what it produces, godly sorrow, what it produces. Let's go back to our examples, 1 Samuel 15. 1 Samuel 15. I want you to understand this. Say, how do I know if my response is wrong? When I'm rebuked, how do I know if my response is wrong? Here's how you know. You know whether you have worldly sorrow or you know whether you have godly sorrow based on what your sorrow produces. Please listen to me. When worldly sorrow produces excuses, that's it. Worldly sorrow produces excuses. That's it. 1 Samuel 15. Are you there? Look at verse 20. Remember, Samuel just rebuked Saul. Just told him, you're wrong, Saul. I don't care if you obeyed partially. You did not obey completely. The Lord is not happy. Notice Saul's response. 1 Samuel 15, verse 20. And Saul said unto Samuel. Notice the defiance. Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. Look, Sam, the man of God just told you you haven't obeyed the voice of the Lord. Don't argue with him. He just told you from the word of God that you're wrong. Yeah, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and have gone the way which the Lord sent me and have brought Agag the king of Amalek and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Notice verse 21. But the people. Here's the excuse. It's not my fault. It's my wife's fault. It's not my fault. It's my husband's fault. It's not my fault. My shrink told me it's my parents' fault. It's not my fault. And look, I'm not minimizing. Maybe you were in a messed up home. But listen to me. At some point, the only way this works, the only way you get your life right is when you learn to take responsibility for your own actions. And you know what Saul was not willing to do? Saul was not willing to take responsibility when he was rebuked. His response was an excuse. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed. I knew it should have been utterly destroyed, but the people took to sacrifice unto the Lord, thy God, in Gilgal. It's your God, by the way, Samuel. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord is great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of the rams for rebellion, and that's all it is. For rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. And here's what I want you to understand. When the rebuke comes, is your response stubbornness? Is your response rebellion? Is your response excuses? Because if it is, then all you have is worldly sorrow. You notice the world, whenever people have addictions... The world always never wants to land the responsibility on the person. 
I'm thankful for all the work that AA and places like that do. But the one major issue I have with it is they always want you to blame, you know, the shrinks always want you to blame your parents, your childhood. Even, you know, they want you to say, you're not, you know, you're not a drunkard. You've got a disease. No, you're a drunkard. That's the problem. And not until you are willing to take responsibility. Not until you are willing to say, it is me. It is my decision. I am the problem. Are you ever going to make things right in your life? See, worldly sorrow only produces excuses, stubbornness. It only produces a stiff neck and an and and, 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 and idolatry of self. But you know what godly sorrow produces? Well, let's look at it. 2 Samuel 12. Let's look at our other example, David. David, now look, Saul was supposed to kill animals and only kill half of them. Is that that bad of a sin? I mean, we realize that it had to do with the offerings of the Lord. We get that. We've been studying that in Leviticus. David committed adultery and killed a man. I mean, wouldn't you say that David's sin is a lot more grievous than Saul's sin? Yet Saul responded with excuses, with stubbornness. Notice how David responds after Nathan says, Thou art the man. 2 Samuel 12 and verse 13. And David said unto Nathan, notice what he says, I have sinned against the Lord. No excuse. No, well, you know what he's saying? You know, it's the wife that got, you know, like Adam. It's the wife that you gave me. You know, it's, my, it's my husband. You know what I'm saying? It's my upbringing. You know what I'm saying? It's the side of town I lived. You know what I'm saying? It's just my, my employer. You know what I'm saying? It's just the education. No, no, no. The difference between Saul and David is that when David was confronted, David responded with confession. I have sinned against the Lord. Go to Psalm 51. You're there in 2 Samuel. You're going to go past 1 and 2 Kings, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms. Psalm 51. Psalm 51. We won't read the whole psalm. It's the great psalm of repentance that David wrote when he's getting right with the Lord over his grievous sin. But I want you to notice what he says in Psalm 51 and verse 3. Just look at verse 3 real quickly. Psalm 51 and verse 3. David, after he's been confronted by Nathan, says this, For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. He says, For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Look at verse 4. Against thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, to be clear when thou judgest. Here's the question I have for you. When the phone call comes, when the pastor shows up and says, Listen, I love you. I'm praying for you. I'm not doing this flippantly. I've been praying for weeks on this, but I need to talk with you because we're going down the wrong road. You respond with, right, I'm sinning. I'm the head of church. I'm upset. Here's, here's all I'm saying. Here's all I'm saying. If there's no one in this world, if there's no one in this world that can rebuke you, your life will be destroyed. Listen to me, wife. If your husband can never say to you, you're wrong, we're going to go in this direction, and you can't accept that, you your marriage will die. There's a repentance to salvation. Children, you will ruin your life. When mom says, I don't think you ought to be hanging out with those kids. I don't think, when dad says, I don't think you ought to be going there. I, I think you ought to come home straight after school. I don't like the, 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 the group you've been with. Go ahead. Go ahead. And disobey. And 20 years from now, when you're still struggling with drugs, you're still struggling with alcohol, you're still struggling with all of the things that your mom and dad were trying to keep you from, just realize you brought yourself there. The proper response is this. I have sinned. Look, I'm not, I'm not up here as a hypocrite. There are people in my life. There are people in my life that I've given permission to. They can call me at any time and say, hey, you're, you're wrong. You're wrong right here. I had somebody just recently. I have somebody just recently who I love and respect call me and say, hey, I, I just want to tell you there's a problem. And they, and they went and told me a couple things. And you know, when I was sitting there listening to what they were saying, I was thinking to myself, you don't even know the whole story. I, I, can, I can tell you how, why what you're saying is different than what, you know, uh, and I can give you these excuses, but here's what I thought to myself. There's enough truth in what they're saying. 
They might not have it all, but there's enough truth in what they're saying. I don't even want to give an excuse. So what do you do? I said, thank you for calling me. I'm going to look into that. And I hung up the phone, and I took care of it. Well, aren't you upset? Don't, aren't you mad that they, that they called you and told you? I, I just figure if somebody takes the time to do that, they must love me. They're not just doing it because they want to have something over me. But they didn't have the whole story. It doesn't matter if they have the story. There's enough truth there. There's enough truth there to say, you know, you're right. You like that? No, look, I'm like you. We just like to be constantly affirmed. Don't, don't we? Don't we just want to constantly be told, you are doing great, you are doing wonderful, you are the greatest thing. I mean, God really blessed us when he made you. That's what we all want to hear. We all, look, look, I'm telling you, out the door, I want to hear, Pastor, that's the greatest sermon I ever preached. You are the greatest preacher I've ever heard. I don't, what I don't want is to see someone, thank you, Pastor. Sometimes I go home and think, man, I kind of repent that I said that. But you know what? When they're sorrowful for a season, but then they get it right, then I don't repent. Then I'm glad. Sometimes, look, look, the truth sometimes hurts. But is there anyone in this world that you're willing to receive truth from? Any leader in this world that you're willing to be rebuked from and take it properly and say, well, you, I don't know that you understand all of that, but there's enough truth there. You're right. Thank you for calling. Thank you for telling me. I'm going to look into it. And correct it. See, there's a rebuke. There's a response. What's the proper response? Confession. You're there in Psalm 51. Go to Psalm 32. Look at verse 5. Psalm 32 and verse 5. Psalm 32 and verse 5. Notice what the Bible says. Psalm 32 and verse 5. The Bible says this. I acknowledge my sin. Psalm 32 and verse 5. I acknowledge my sin unto thee. And mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, for thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah. See, the Bible says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we have to first confess. We have to admit. We have to be, we have to be willing to say, I have sinned before the Lord. So we saw the rebuke. We saw the response. Go back to 2 Corinthians 7, look at verse 9. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 9. We saw the rebuke and we saw the response. I'd like you to write, next to, next to verse number 10, I'd like you to write these two words. The repentance. The repentance. Notice verse 9. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorrow after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. Look at verse 10. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. You know what, repent, here, here's, you say, how do you know I'm responding right? If you repent. So how do I, you know if, if I repent? Here's how you know if you repent. I'm, talking about, I'm not talking about salvation. Salvation is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm talking about the Christian life. All right? Read Revelation 1, 2, and 3. You'll find the, Jesus speaking to the churches of believers, and they're constantly, he's calling them to repent. He's telling them to repent. Okay, you say, how do I know if I repent? You know, as a pastor, I deal a lot with people with addictions. Drugs, alcohol, pornography, gambling, whatever. And you, and you, and you deal a lot with sorrowful people. And you say, how do you, how do you know if someone's truly repentant? Here's how you know. If they're actually willing to make an effort to change. Go to 1 Samuel 15. Look at verse 24. 1 Samuel 15, verse 24. Remember, Saul was confronted, rebuked, and his response was excuses. Notice, notice his false repentance. 1 Samuel 15, 24. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned. Good. Good step. You know, after you gave us all your excuses, Saul, now you get to the point where you say, you admit, I've sinned. Great. But notice what's wrong with his confession. I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandments of the Lord and thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Notice verse 25. Now therefore, now that we got that out of the way, I pray thee, pardon my sin and turn again with me, that I may worship the Lord. 
And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. And Samuel turned about to go away. He, talking about Saul, laid hold upon the skirt of his mantle, and it ran. So, so Saul says, I'm sorry. Now, go, quick, go with me. Let's go worship together. And Samuel says, I don't think you're really sorry. I'm out of here. He goes to leave, and Saul reaches for him and grabs his clothing and actually rent his mantle. Look at verse 28. And Samuel said, and, and Samuel said unto him. So Samuel's going to give him a, a, a picture uh, lesson here because he just ripped his, his mantle. He just ripped his clothing. The Lord, he says, oh, really? The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent. For he is not a man that he should repent. Notice verse 30. Then he said, this is Saul, I have sinned. But notice, notice what he wants. Yeah, honor me now, I pray thee, before the elders of my people and before Israel. And turn again with me that I may worship the Lord my God. So Samuel turned again after Saul and Saul worshiped the Lord. Now I want you to understand. He says, okay, 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 you're right, you're right. But just don't leave. Look, if you leave, it's going to make me look bad. Notice verse 30. Honor me now, I pray thee, before the elders of my people and before Israel. Saul does not want to get anything right. He just wants to keep the status quo. He says, he says okay, I, I'm, I'm wrong. I've sinned. Whatever. Samuel, just come with me. Just come with me. If you don't show up to the worship session, people are going to know something's wrong. I'll have people come meet with me. I have people come in and say, Pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling in this area. And they'll tell me. And I'll say, well, you know what you need to do? You know what you need to do is that your problem is where you work. Where you work is a problem. You need to get a different job. No, Pastor, you don't understand. I've been there for so long and I've got seniority. And you know what that tells me? You're not willing to repent. You just want to keep things the same. People come to me and say, Pastor, I'm struggling with pornography. You get the internet off your phone. Well, I need the internet for... Okay. And go ahead. Ruin your marriage. Well, man, you don't understand. You know what you do? You need to move. You know what you do? You need to do this. You know what you need to do? And you tell people, here's what you need to do. And they give you all the excuses why, well, I can't do it for that reason. And I can't go. People come to me with financial problems. Pastor, I'm struggling financially. I say, tell me how much you make. They tell me. Tell me all your bills. They tell me. I say, here's a problem right here. You got to get rid of the cable. And you got to get rid of this Starbucks thing. It needs to go. And, and this, well, you don't understand, Pastor. I mean, I absolutely. Then look, then you're not willing to get anything right yet. You know how you know if you have repented? When you're actually willing to make an effort to change something. When pastor says, you may need counseling. And, well, you don't understand, I'm busy. Well, okay. Then go ahead and ruin your life. Obviously, you know better than everybody else. Obviously, there's nobody who can give you any advice about anything. And go ahead and get the divorce, and go ahead and have the children hate you, and go ahead and get to the end of your life and realize that I wasted it all. Or you can learn to respond correctly to rebuke. And you can actually make an effort to change something. <coughs> Notice 2 Corinthians 7, verse 11. What does true repentance bring? What does true repentance bring? People come to me and they'll say, Pastor, I, wanna, I need to do this and this and this. And I say, you know what? You've got way too much idle time. You know what you need to do? You need to be in church on Sunday morning and on Sunday night and on Wednesday night. You need to be in soul. You need to be at every activity the church does. You need to just be involved in the things of God because whenever you're not involved, you just, well, Pastor, I was just, you know, why didn't you show up to church on Sunday night? Well, I, I just I was tired. Yeah, you were tired and then you went and got high off drugs. You'd been in church, you'd have been fine. You say, well, is that the, is that the, I'm just, I'm just telling you, people, you know, whether the advice is right or wrong, I'm saying people come to me, and I say, here's what you need to do, X, Y, Z, and well, I can't do that one because of this, and I can't do this one because of that, and I, you just don't understand my situation. Well, listen, if all you want me to do is to show up and worship with you, so wife thinks everything is fine, then you're not ready to repent. You're not ready to make things right. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 11. For behold, this selfsame thing that you sorrowed after a godly sword. Notice what he says. You sorrowed after a godly sword. Notice how he describes it. What carefulness it wrought in you. You know, once you repented, you were a lot more careful about how you dealt with the internet. Once you repented, you were a lot more careful about who you hung out with. 
Once you repented, you were a lot more careful about being accountable to your spouse, being accountable to your pastor, being accountable to your accountability partner. See, when people actually repent, they become a lot more careful. What carefulness is wrought in you? Yea, what clearing of yourselves? Yea, what indignation? Yea, what fear? Yea, what vehement desire? Yea, what zeal? Yea, what revenge? In all things, ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. See, when you, when you have true repentance, you want to clear your name. You say, I can't believe that I allowed myself to go down that road. There's indignation. There's vehement desire. There's seal. There's revenge. Not, not, not an angry, I want to revenge, you know, that I allowed my flesh and the world and the devil to allow me to go down that road. That's what true repentance brings. You know what false repentance brings? Let's just pray about it. We'll be good. Well, you need to change. I don't want to change anything. Well, what, what, what's going to, how are you going to get this? I, you know, I just, more self-control. If you had more self-control, you wouldn't be in the position you are. Self-control is like a muscle. Sometimes we're strong and, you know, sometimes we're just tired. And you need protection. You need people around you. You need someone who loves you enough to say, hey, I notice you've been missing church lately. Notice your demeanor's been different. I notice you've been distant. I notice you've been detaching. I'm not trying to offend you. I, I love you. I'm just, is there something wrong? Don't talk to me like that. Okay. Who are you? Saul? Or David? Is there anyone in this world that can rebuke you? Is there anyone in this world that once they rebuke you, you respond properly? Is there anything in your life that you're repenting of, meaning you're actually putting effort to try to change? Look at 2 Corinthians 7, verse 6. We're, we're almost done. We'll look at three passages. We'll be done. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 6. Actually, I'm sorry. I said three passages. I'm, I forgot there's another page. <laughs> we'll look at four, four, maybe five passages. 2 Corinthians 7, look at verse 6. Nevertheless, God that comforted those that, cast, that are cast down, notice what he says, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Because remember, he says, man, I was really discouraged. I was going through a lot. But when Titus showed up, I was comforted. Look at verse 7. And not by his coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you. He said, he said when Titus showed up and told me how you received the letter and the fact that it made you sorry, but then you got right, that it made you sorry, but then you repented it and you got it right in your life. He said, when he told us your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent mind toward me. So that I rejoice the more. He said, when I, when I found out that you were actually willing to get it right, it made it worth it. It made it worth it. Go to Proverbs 28, verse 13. You were just in Psalms. Just one book over. Proverbs 28. Proverbs 28, verse 13. Here's your options. Proverbs 28, verse 13. Here's your options. He that covereth this sin shall not prosper. You can go ahead. I'm not mad at you. I preach to many people three times a week. I'm not mad at you. In fact, the only reason I'm preaching this is because I love you. It'd be much easier for me to get up and say, your best life now, prosperity, hocus pocus, you're going to be rich, you're going to be thin, you're going to be great, keep doing what you're doing. That, that, I, you know, I'd get a lot more high fives on the way out. Thanks, pastor. Every time I come to church, I just feel so great. Maybe sometimes you need to leave church feeling a little sorry, a little sorrowful, a little grieved. Here's your options. He that covered this sin shall not prosper. You can go ahead, put your head in the sand and say, nothing's wrong with my marriage, nothing's wrong with my finances, nothing's wrong with my health, nothing's wrong with my career, nothing's wrong with my children, everything's fine, let's just keep on going, status quo, come on Samuel, let's keep everything the way it is. You go ahead, you can cover your sin, but here's what the Bible says, you will not prosper. You will not prosper. He that covered this sin shall not prosper, but, but, here's option two. Whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. See, it's not enough to confess. You've got to confess and forsake. That requires effort. That requires changing some things. Maybe you need to change a phone number. Maybe you need to change an email address. Maybe you need to move. You may need to get another job. 
You may need to just turn the internet off. You may need to move the computer to a place where it's a little more public. You may need to get some sort of internet filtering. You may need to start driving a different way home. You, you may need to just cut some people out of your life. You may, well, Pastor, you don't understand. Look, if the excuses come, then just, just realize, just realize we're not ready to repent yet. We're not actually ready to make any changes yet. So here's the questions I have for you. Is there anybody in this world that can rebuke you? When you are rebuked, how do you respond? It's only submission. It's only submission if you disagree and you do and you go ahead cheerfully anyway. I'm I'm the most submissive wife to my husband as long as we are on the same page. Well, that doesn't prove anything. It's when your husband says, "No, we're actually going to go in this direction," and you say, "Honey, I, I I don't I don't I don't think that's." And look, any wise husband will listen to his wife. She was given to you to be a helpmeet. She wants to help you. Honey, I just don't think, and you know, let her speak, and, and you ought to consider truly, but when, when you decide, when the husband decides, no, we're going to go in this direction anyway, you know what a submissive person does? They say, I don't agree, but I love you. I think you have our best interest in mind, and I'll cheerfully follow you. That's what a good wife does. That's what a good child does. That's what a good employee does. That's what a church, good church member does. Is if every time you disagree, I just don't think, I just don't think, I'm just going to keep fighting, I'm just going to keep fighting, I'm just going to, listen to me, you're not submissive. You, you, you don't respond well. You will ruin, you will ruin whatever relationship you are trying to live in. What's the goal? Second Corinthians chapter 7, look at verse 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, here's how he begins, the whole thing. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit perfecting holiness in the fear of God. A couple of days ago, I was working on a sermon. It wasn't this sermon. And I was just real frustrated. I was at my desk typing and writing and reading and making notes. And unless you've ever preached before, those of you that have preached, you may understand what I'm about to say, but I felt like I just couldn't get any traction, you know. I've got this text, and I've got to preach it, but I just, I don't really know what, what I should do. And I decided, you know, I'm just going to take a break from this. And I, I went downstairs, and my wife walks in the room and she says, what's wrong? I said, I, you know, I just, I don't, and I, and I said to her, what is the point of preaching this chapter? You know, I just, I don't feel like, what's, what's the point? And, and in a little bit of frustration, I said, what, what is the point of us? Like, not us, you know, marriage. <laughs> I'm saying like, us! Believers in this world, the ch- our church, Verity Baptist Church, what is the point? What are we trying to accomplish? Just preach through the book of Leviticus to say we preach through Leviticus? Just preach, you know, just, just go to church and play church and have church so we can say, well, we did it, we did church, check it off, we're spiritual. What's the point? And, you know, here's the point. You say, why are we taking a vision offering today? Why, why do we want more chairs? Why do we want more chairs? To reach more people. To bring more people. What is the point? Why do we go? Why, why were there 70 some odd people in the community of Sacramento this week from Verity Baptist Church knocking doors, inviting people to church, preaching the gospel? Why? What is the point? To get people saved? Yeah. To get people baptized? Yeah. But you know what the point is? The point is this that they might be cleansed from all the filthiness of the flesh. That they might learn how to perfect holiness. Ephesians 4.24 says this, and, they that, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. See, the point is this. If you come to church year after year, year after year, year after year, and nothing changes, we're failing. There's no point if everything just continues the same. We need repentance in our lives. We need to be able to identify the areas that we are failing in and say, I've got to do better here. I need to confess that as sin. I need to not hide and cover that sin. I need to put some effort into making that right. I may need to learn how to be submissive. I may need to learn how to respond well when I'm rebuked. I may have to realize that mom does love me. That's why she's telling me what I don't want to hear. Dad does love me. That's why he's telling me what I don't want to hear. Pastor actually does love me. He, it's not that he had nothing to do on Tuesday night. It's that the fact that he drove to my house, asked me, 
communicate with me and told me those things is because he actually loves you. Is there anyone in your life? Is there anyone in your life that can confront you and say, hey, what you're doing, it's wrong. And how do you respond? Is there anything you are repenting of in your life? It's the only way to grow. It's the only way to grow. It's about our heads. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. Father, I realize that this is not the type of sermon you want to preach when you are getting ready to take a special offering. I get that. But this is the type of sermon you preach when you want to help people. And that's why we're here. We're not here to try to have the biggest church in town. We're not here to try to just make tons of money and be happy. We're here because we want to help people. Want to bring the truth to people. Want to love people. Lord, I pray you bless our church. Help us to get the vision of what we're doing here. Lord, I pray that in the next few moments as we take this vision offering and people invest themselves financially, they realize what they are investing in is a church that will love people enough to tell them the truth. Father, we love you. In your precious name I pray.